couple weeks back, Dummy Magazine published a huge two-part feature by a guy called Adam Harper, wherein Adam lays out the boundaries of a genre he's calling vaporwave. He goes into great detail um, in terms of what he thinks he's referring to with this term. He brings up um, a sort of modern Gibsonian idea, which is called accelerationism. Accelerationism is a very chic idea. Um, it's a fancy way of basically subscribing to an apocalyptic philosophy. It suggests that there are futures and disruptions ahead of us, and that the faster we barrel toward them, the sooner we reach whatever the actual ultimate end is and stop kind of spinning our wheels. Well, you have to kind of temper that with an understanding of something like, like let's say, Moore's Law, right, of computing. And essentially what we're talking about is diminishing returns. This kind of thinking is so macro level that it can't be debunked. And so it's really easy and coy and chic to talk about things in these terms, but it's also a fucking joke. You know, Red Dawn is not coming. I'm very skeptical of any line of thought that in any way marks its believer as a subscriber. And that's sort of the issue I have with this idea of accelerationism. The thing that's sort of strange about this is that Adam is trying to corral some very different names. Fatima Al-Qadari, James Ferraro, and Gatekeeper in the same sentence. James Ferraro has been around literally for years in many different guises. You know, he was the skaters, he's, he's released tons of material. A lot of it pretty obscure, but nonetheless it's been released and it's part of his body of work. And I don't really know how obscure anything can be in, you know, the internet age. Sure, yeah, you have a tour-only CDR. Well, you know, after the first show of the tour, it's out on the internet on some kid's blog, so everybody has it. I mean, more people are going to have listened to that than there are probably copies of the CDR by the second or third date of the tour you're selling it on. And the one James Ferraro piece that has stuck around and stuck with me is Marble Surf. <laughs> easiest tricks to develop, you know, original sounding loops is to do a hard cut bandpass between say 500 megahertz right in the middle of the mid-range to like, you know, 2000, 2K, 2 kilohertz. And what happens then is you get this, you know, boxing whinny that just really, it's got, it's like you put, you know, seashells over your ears. You can no longer tell what the source material was. So for all intents and purposes, it becomes a new loop. And in a lot of cases, the more extremely you do your bandpass, it will actually um, clamp down on different percussive elements of the wave. So what you come out with may not even be in the same syncopation as the original piece. identifying there are qualities that I hear in Memory Theater and the other track on Marble Surf. And these are great qualities and when they're done right they produce really beautiful results that are indistinguishable from the source material and then become much more their own thing. It's sort of difficult for me looking at this to not feel like 
this is really a stab by Dummy Mag to try and get at the forefront of something. Because, you know what, Fader kind of owned Witch House, right? They may have overinvested here in the value of musical genre in 2012. Almost every publication bent over backwards to try and not only get a piece of, but proclaim C-punk as a genre. It's nothing new. You know, when, when punk, when we were coming out of punk rock in the early 80s, everybody wanted to talk about new wave, machine music, music that's going to be made by robots, Gary Newman, what do you think? There has never been a shortage of genre championing and genre naming in rock criticism. It's always been there. I just, I don't think there's a two CD compilation of C-punk classics coming at us anytime soon. It was an idea. It was just a meme. It was something to play with on Twitter and Tumblr. Things that are so limited, like C-punk, are better used as accents. In, in, in the last video, I mentioned Daniel Lopetin's work as Chuck Person on that Echo Jams tape. Well, the cover of Echo Jams looks like a Super Nintendo cartridge. It's named after Echo the Dolphin, this hugely hyped and terrible video game for Sega Genesis. You know, I don't need everybody to dye their hair blue and, you know, start putting corny samples of bubbles over, you know, cheesy 1992 bad techno. The people that are more inscrutable, that have a broader range of ideas that they're playing with, I'm thinking specifically of like Jerome Lowell and Lowell Boys before. It was much broader and it was still dealing with music as pop music. There's a hole in the marbles, all you can wish for. Is it better to marble? Is it better to marble? And that's sort of a distinction that's really important to me. When you cross the line from being perceptible as pop music to being a proposition, Salem's I Buried My Heart in a Wounded Knee mixtape was absolutely stunning to me. I still listen to that all the time. I think it's fantastic. I think it was a really original proposition. And sometimes propositions are strong enough that they should be broadened out and fleshed out. And Wish House kind of was. A lot of times, that's just not the case. And it's always been like that. Like, in the early 90s, when Rico Suave came out. I don't drink or smoke and in the dope when I know coke. You ask me, how do I do what I cope? My only addiction has to do with a female species. I eat a raw like sushi. Everyone was trying to talk about how Spanglish rap was the next big thing. That shit never happened. Hit it, muchachos! You start with the clavis, they go. There's been tons of false starts with people trying to coin and sell genre activity. 
it used to be the record labels because they'd start, they'd try to start a trend and then they'd sign all the bands who were participating in the trend and shop them. But now all of the writers are trying to come up with these stupid fucking genres to throw at the wall. The first time I really approached these ideas was in 2010 when I wrote a pretty long piece about a different way of approaching genre. It came out of some posts on the Hippinion message board by a border um, called I Push Miracle Whips. I seized on it really quickly and so did some other boarders who have gone on to some pretty sizable internet celebrity in the last couple of years. Mike Silver, aka CFCF, and James Brooks, Elite Gymnastics. Um, Elite Gymnastics just came off tour with Grimes and I'm sure if you're watching this video you probably already know who he is and you certainly know who Grimes is. We have been literally through the internet and through this message board talking to each other for 10 years by the time CFCF kind of became a thing and he was getting ready to put out his own records like The River and we had all been kind of obsessed with Burial's first two records for a couple of years there. He had a track called Night Bus and in a couple of interviews he had talked about the idea of Night Bus and the idea of just being out at three in the morning at McDonald's. And so we kind of seized on this and we were like, well, what if you just go back and what if you take all the music that's ever existed before and you have this concept in mind. And in America, you know, if you've ever gotten on an overnight bus, you're usually going home from college. And it's a very strange thing. You, you're leaving a place you know where you're independent and on your own. And in a lot of cases, you're going to your house where you grew up with your parents or your friends. And so there's this transaction mentally that's occurring where you're going from one place and toward another, but you're not there yet. And while you're traveling, you're in this kind of cocoon that's just really dark and weird and surrounded by strangers. And you most often have your headphones on and you're trying to shut all that out, but you usually have trouble sleeping. So you're up, but you're tired. There's just, there's an emotional character to that. And there's an emotional character to, you know, going and getting a cheeseburger at 2.30 in the morning and the way the lights are and if it's been raining. Um, Night Bus has a completely different connotation in England and Europe because there it's about just like shit-faced people piling onto the night bus to get home at the end of a night of heavy drinking. But we started just going back through and, and trying to think of songs that could be framed in those terms. And we made a bunch of mixes about it. Now, I just was more interested in the idea of archivally kind of re-tagging music as being, you know, evocative of or appropriate for, um, you know, this kind of scenario. And I did five or six mixes of this over that year and a half. But CFCF came out with two different, much more heavily promoted and branded mixes where he did original work. And his two mixes, um, Do You Like Night Bus, did, did very well for him. They got a lot of attention. We were all kind of submitting different mixes. Uh, there was a Tumblr called Stay Glued that did a bunch of them. James from Elite Gymnastics did a few. His were much more about the kind of K-pop stuff that he was getting into. But um, there was one he did called I Was Wondering, which was named for the second song on it, which was a remix of Alicia Keys' Unthinkable, done by an artist called Physical Therapy. I was 
actually not that guy in real life. I'm very happy. You know? okay, I'm, I'm not content by any means. I'm not I'm a happy person. And so you broaden it and you push it and you go in these different ways. And then we flipped it over and it became morning train. So you think about all the different things that happen when you get up and you have to catch a train from your friend's apartment or whatever, or you're on the Euro rail. You know, we just, you keep playing with these ideas as ways to re-enjoy, reinterpret, and re-promote music that's kind of dear to you for these reasons and has these kind of emotional notes to it. I call this the goldfish bowl effect. Obviously, Simon Reynolds' Retromania book has been something that keeps coming up whenever we talk about how we talk about the past. The important thing to me is not the way in which we re-embrace the past. It's the way in which we get the past wrong. And that distortion is why I called it the goldfish bowl. Because if you're at one point in the goldfish bowl now, and you try to look over across at a point in the past, there's a lot of distortion there because of all the water that's in between you. And all these people who are watching these videos, these, you know, retro-tastic videos that are mashing up old computer graphics and whatever, each person is having a different memory of what their childhood or their years spent using that software were like. What if you never played Seventh Guest and you only played Myst? Well, you're going to have a totally different set of memories from that time period than I am. What if you never saw Vampire Hunter D and, you know, you only saw Vampire Hunter Yoko? The whole idea that there's, you know, 190s that we're going back to is absurd. The reaction we saw to Rihanna, you know, co-opting Jerome Lowell's video work and other video work that's been done, Everybody talks about this in terms of her appropriating or co-opting his work and that being some kind of theft. You know, and he's straddled the line on this very well because he's saying, look, I put this stuff on the internet as a promotion for myself. And, you know, people have been nice enough to point out that Rihanna has kind of used some of it. And so, well, I'm still, I'm getting credit in that way. I mean, it's through the back door, but I'm getting credit. The reason the other people got so upset is they felt like they had contributed to the development of a unique perspective, the C-punk idea. And it was kind of a social game. It wasn't just about music. They were playing a game of signs and signifiers with each other. And when someone from the outside sees that kind of activity and appropriates it, that offends the people who were just trying to have something that was their own. You can't do that on the internet. And that's the lesson that we're, you know, going to have to learn from this thing. As soon as you start doing stuff on the internet, the internet is a wellspring for, you know, content providers to scrape it and reposition everything you do and say as a saleable narrative. And so, you know, there was a fucking New York Times piece about C-Punk. Man, that was brutal. I mean, they at least tried to hedge their bet by saying, oh, C-Punk has its moment, and be a little bit condescending about how foolish it was. Well, if it was so foolish, why the fuck did you even cover it? It's really tough. You, you gotta turn off so much shit to not become a victim of the editorial rush for consensus on the internet. They can't wait to put you in a box because they don't even have to know what they're talking about. They can just say vaporwave, and everyone will assume that you know this publication is really hip and trendy. Because they're on the Vaporwave bandwagon. Or, you know, they posted a fucking Witch House remix before anyone else did. Attribution, attribution. These are all editorial games. These are all about brand sovereignty and getting credit for being out in front of something. 
The way this thing is set up, people should really be a lot more guarded about how they put their art and their identity, really, out there and make it available to other parties to, you know, react to. Because what if Rihanna hadn't, you know, stolen Jerome Lowell's video and made a, you know, proxy of it for her SNL appearance? What if she just did an interview and she said, I really like this stuff that Jerome Lowell did? How is that different? She gets all the credibility of knowing who you are and you get, you know, your name thrown out in an article that's going to be read by millions of people, probably. You know, it's not really that different. Thankfully, it showed everybody that there was no point in waiting for Azealia Banks to come out with anything else because she's fucking over. As upset as you are that Rihanna co-opted your shit, at least be happy that you can immediately call her out on it on Twitter and Tumblr and all over the internet. Because if this had happened in the 1990s, you're fucked.